All right. My daily battle, finito. It's over. We're moving on. And we are starting a new series today It called Lift Up Your Eyes. So stop looking down and lift up your eyes. That's not what this is about. Uh, at least not this overtly. Lift up your eyes is a, a phrase uh, that comes from Psalm 121. Where I will lift up my eyes, right? So into the hills and their creator. So basically what we're doing over the next 15 weeks is we're jumping in to a section of scripture uh, known as the Songs of Ascent. Okay, it's Psalm 120 through Psalm 134. Uh, there are 150 psalms. We're not going to preach through all of them. You, depending on where you fall on that, you may be sad about that. Maybe you want to spend three years in the psalms. Uh, but we're actually just going to take a look the next 15 weeks at a very specific section. The Songs of Ascent. Uh, psalm 120 through 134. The Songs of Ascent. Lift up your eyes. Who cares? Right? Who cares that we're going to be in the Songs of Ascent? Well, it actually has some pretty significant spiritual uh, uh, value. Uh, for those who once uh, penned it, who sang it, and for the people of God throughout the ages. So, we believe that this, uh, the, this section in the Songs of Ascent is going to be something that is very significant for us as a congregation. All right, ascent just simply means to go up, okay? So you are down and you are going up. Does that seem pretty simple, right? Well, it's not actually that simple. There's a lot of discussion about what is meant by this little uh, phrase above these psalms, the songs of ascent, what going up really means. Uh, there's a lot of yip and yap about that. Bottom line, most people would say that what this means is this, these songs were used when the people of Israel would journey from wherever they were throughout, dispersed throughout, throughout the land and journey up to Jerusalem for the major feasts. Okay, Jerusalem was set up on a hill and there was a valley nearby, the Kidron Valley, so oftentimes there was literally an ascent up to Jerusalem for these feasts. And so these people walking through valleys, walking in the heat, walking through the midst of their lives, would literally go up for these feasts into Jerusalem, and they would sing these songs. Songs of going up. Is that making sense? Yeah. So that's what they are. Now, uh, interestingly enough, there's a heaviness to these songs. Right? This isn't 107.9. Okay? This isn't pop culture. This isn't cute and fun. This isn't silly. This is, there is a great heaviness to these songs that are being sung by the people of God. Now, there's faith in it. Don't get me wrong. There is faith in these songs. Okay? But there is a heaviness. There is a sadness at times. Uh, very direct sadness. And, and in some ways, uh, as we're going to see today, some of them are just laments. They're laments. Like, this stinks. Like today's, and that's how it ends. Okay? So, uh, this is going to be an, a different kind of series 
and not necessarily the feel-goody psalms that we're used to. And here's what's interesting as I was planning, especially this week. I was just looking at the content of these psalms, these songs, and recognizing that this is no accident in the life of Renovation Church, these psalms that have been selected. You know, there is a sense where we, we've been in the New Testament a lot, and so we want to go Old Testament. We want our people to hear the full counsel of God uh, as we come and, and worship together. We want to teach from both Testaments and different kinds of literature within the Bible. Uh, but, and so we looked at the Psalms, said we've never really done that. Let's go into the Psalms. But we, want, we don't want to do 150 of them, so what would make sense? So kind of went into the Songs of Ascent. I thought it was a good choice. But to actually begin to dive into these Psalms and to begin to think about the kind of experiences and situations and struggles that some of you are facing, actually many of you, in your walk with God, in your life, at work, at home, at church, in your marriage, with your boss, just dissatisfaction, health concerns. When I begin to tabulate in inventory the kind of challenges and struggles and situations that are pulling on the faith and making it hard, lamentable conditions, I am, am sometimes shocked is what we as a people at this church are facing. And so as I was thinking about it, I thought, this is just like our sovereign God who loves His people. This is just like Him. Unbeknownst to us, in a simple summer series planning, to dump the songs of ascent in the midst of a people that feel like they're at the bottom of the valley and they're called to ascend to the hill. Some of you may know exactly what I'm talking about this morning. And so, why does that matter? It matters because I want to shape your expectation about what God can do and will do through this series. Shepherd you. Love you. Pour out His mercy into your heart. Hear your frustrations. The things that you say, this stinks, Lord. He hears. We're going to see that. So here's my plea to you. Adopt these for 15 weeks. Bring them into your life. Bring them into your thoughts. Okay? Wherever you are on the downward, the minor chord of life, adopt these psalms. Adopt these songs. And may the Spirit of God bring you up as a result of it. Not necessarily in the moment bring you out, but bring you up in your soul. May He care for you. So seek the Lord in these Scriptures. Don't just let this be a Sunday morning deal. Seek the Lord in this. Can we do this together? Can we do this? We don't want to play games, right? Religion, forget it, you can have it. Let's let God speak to us in these 15 weeks. Let's open our heart. Let's open our mind. Let's recite these. If you are one of those, sing them. The people of God did. Sing them. We're Baptists, so no dancing. Uh, but sing them. Believe God's going to do something. Do you? Psalm 120. Grab your Bibles. You're going to probably want to put a marker at Psalm 120 because we're just going to hang out here until mid-September. Okay? Psalm 120. 
Look at what the psalmist says. He says, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and He answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what shall... What more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree? Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I made my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace but when I speak they are for war this is the word of God and all God's people said amen amen the psalmist is living in distress if you have a pen circle that word distress the psalmist is living in distress. Not just any distress. My distress. It's his personal turmoil. It's his personal experience. He owns it. It's his. It seems to own him. It's real. This statement, in my distress, is not some phrase penned down to give us something to talk about from the Bible thousands of years later. This is the psalmist's life. In my distress, right? His, his turmoil, his anguish, his life is out of favor. This stinks. It's killing me. In my distress, in this life of journeying through the peaks and valleys, this is deep for him. If this is a song, he's living in the minor chord, right? He's in distress. The question is why? Deliver me, O Lord, he says, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. He's in distress because he is victim to a culture of deceit. Right? Some of you understand what this is like. He's a victim to falsehood. Someone is lying about him. Or his situation. Or maybe more generally, someone or some people are projecting falsehood on his life. They are suppressing the truth. And they're lying. They're promoting falsehood. They are lying. Outright lies. They are intentionally subverting the truth in his life. And speaking and promoting falsehood. Right? You may know what this is like. When at work or at home, you feel you're being misrepresented. Someone is lying. They're not telling the truth. It not least the whole truth. The kind of distress that you feel. The kind of oppression that you feel. Right? Or or maybe more generically, uh, based on where the psalmist is and where he's journeying, maybe he's living in the midst of a people or a society that is suppressing the truth. Right? Won't let him tell the truth. Right? Speaks a, a, a counterfeit reality into his experience. 
some of you, really all of you in this room know exactly what that kind of feeling is. The frustration of living amongst a people that refuse to see the truth. That refuse to speak the truth. That go to great lengths to promote counterfeit realities. 2017 American culture. Really global culture. Right? Right? We live in a pluralistic, postmodern, relativistic age which basically says no to our exclusive claims of truth. He is saying, I'm living amongst a people that lie. The deceitful, right? The deceitful tongue. What more shall be given to you? What more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? What's going to need to be done, you who lie and who suppress the truth? You, in your lying, are putting me in a place of personal turmoil and anguish. And I can't stand it. No, often, again, in the midst of grace, we can feel like we frustrated by that kind of world in which we live. You see, by God's grace, and by God's grace alone, we know the truth. It's been revealed to us. And so we want to celebrate it and speak it and live it and multiply it. We want it to bless the world around us. We want it to infect families and schools and, 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 and just life in America, in Onondaga County. But there are so many things going against us, and that puts us in a place of distress. Our culture rejects the idea of authority, the existence of a good, noble God. And so we look at our world, and it's lamentable. It causes us concern. It hurts. Like the psalmist in Psalm 119, my eyes flow streams of tears because I look around and people don't obey your law. It bothers us. Or maybe it doesn't. Maybe the most confusing thing about this sermon is that you don't identify with the anguish and distress of the psalmist. You're just fine with the world around us. Maybe you're okay with falsehood. As long as it doesn't affect your life, as long as it leaves you alone, which is a lie in and of itself, maybe you're indifferent to deceit, to lying, to falsehood, to false teaching. Maybe it doesn't bother you. But the psalmist is living in a culture of falsehood and it is causing him great distress. It, he laments it. Second, He's not just living amongst a people that lie. He's living amongst a people that hate peace. Right? People that want to fight. Look at verse 6 and 7. Too long that I've made my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. These people want to fight. They're barbaric. Right? they, They want to take over people. They want to They want to throw fists. They want to throw spears. They're not looking to establish peace and unity in the world. They want to fight. right? They're a people of discord. And he is being in the family of God, a child of God, is for peace. He understands the source of peace. He wants to live in peace. He craves peace because he's living amongst the people that want to fight all the time. 
And again, I think it's easy for us to identify with this. We live in a world that, that at least puts peace on a bumper sticker, right? That at the Universalist Church wants to put a pole out front that combines all of the faiths and creates some sort of superficial kind of peace in the world, but yet it's almost like they've never watched the news. We are not living in a world at peace, are we? And it drives the psalmist absolutely bonkers. This stinks. There is a God of peace. We are a people of peace. But this is not a world of peace. He craves it. And so many of you crave the same thing. And it's not just societal. It's not just global. We're talking about a deep yearning and longing for interpersonal peace. But something's still inside of you. I call it the hostile gene. Uh, I want to make a confession. I have the hostile gene, right? Like, it's taken 38 years, and it's still going strong for the hostile gene to, to be sanctified out of me. Like, my first reaction is, let's go. Like, to most things, right? Like, let's fight. And I'm like, that's kind of messed up, man. What's going on inside of me? Right? When, when, when something's, and I'm like, there's something that, that's welling up in hostility. It, it's, a, it's, it's a struggle for peace, amen? There's lack of inner peace, therefore there's lack of outer peace. That's the problem with the world. But again, to understand that, you would have to embrace an exclusive claim about what the source of our problem is that has lost our peace. But because we don't want the truth, we then live without the peace. And the psalmist is saying, I've been living amongst these people for too long. I can't take it anymore. I am for peace, but they are for war. Really, if you want to just take a, a, a simplistic look to this, why is he in distress? He's living far from home amongst a people that live far from God. And I think, again, we can easily identify with this. He's sojourning. He's homeless. He's living among the tents. Where is his house? Where is this psalmist's home? And we, as Christians, living in the world today, we understand that that is what explains our everyday existence. Yes, we have physical homes. We pay taxes. Someone did not say amen to that. We pay taxes. We have homes. But this is not our home. We are homeless here, journeying to our heavenly home. Peter calls it exiles and sojourners. We're just passing through. This is not our home. And we live amongst the people that are far from God. And that is lamentable. It should break us. That's exactly what is going on with the psalmist. He's in distress. He's far from home. He's living amongst a people that are far from God. He's yearning for peace. And he's yearning for the truth. Is that your experience today in some way, shape, or form? Are you yearning and longing and striving for quote-unquote home where peace and truth and the presence of the living God is? If that's you, you're, you're living in a similar fashion as the psalmist. right? You can identify with him. 
But the question becomes, what will you do about it? What will you do about your distress? Well, the psalmist, this is what happens. He says, in my distress, I called to the Lord. You see, he prayed to the Lord because he knew the source of his deliverance. You only go to the Lord if you know the Lord is your source of deliverance. And we're here today to tell you that in your distress, the Lord is your deliverer. There is no other. But to understand that and to embrace that and to live that, you're going to have to reject the three most common ways of dealing with distress. Number one, self-reliance. You're not going to be able to or even be willing to pursue the Lord in the midst of whatever you're going through if if you are self-reliant. If you're saying to yourself, in the midst of my distress, I will fix my own issues. I will fix my own lack of peace. I will be the solution to my own problem. Some of you, that is one of your biggest struggles. Pride. Pride. I'll take care of it. I'll do it on my own. I don't need help. Yeah, I've got issues, but I'll fix it. If I just try harder, if I just work more, then I'll fix it. Self-reliance is not the way to be saved from distress. Second would be avoidance. Right? So many of us are prone to avoid. We, we don't want to deal with it. Yeah, we're distressing, but we find ways to escape. Right? Some of you have heard of this uh, mindfulness stuff that's going around all over the place. Right? This idea that we can just be, do, do this like meditative state that we can kind of free ourselves from the distresses around us and find that inner peace, that inner place. As if peace is found within. Everyone say hogwash. I want you to say it. It's that silly to think that peace is within. If there's lack of inner peace, how can you go within to get it? It makes no sense. It must come from without. So please, don't look within to get out. You've got to look up. Lift up your eyes. Right? Don't find a numbing substance. When you're in distress, don't go to the liquor cabinet. That's avoidance. That's escaping. Whatever other substance numbs the pain and reality that you are facing. And by all means, don't accept it. Right? I think people can often be in the midst of distress and allow it to shape their identity. This is me. This is who I am. Accept it. Embrace it. Deal with it. And maybe even start to celebrate it. That's what happens to people. Don't do that. The call here is this. In my distress, I called out to the Lord. Prayer is the pathway to peace. Prayer is the doorway into deliverance. Right? In my distress, I called to the Lord. Is that your first response? If you're feeling distressed this morning, is your first response to call out to the Lord? I tend to go the other ways. I wonder if you do too. It may be in the midst of your distress, it's an invitation today to seek the Lord. 
right? To call upon Him is to, to summon Him, right? You, you're calling upon His name. You're calling upon His authority. You're calling upon the Lord. You're recognizing that He and He alone is the source of your deliverance in your distress. You're calling on the Lord. I think of a child, right? Because uh, the word can also be rendered to cry aloud. Not just call upon, but to cry aloud. And I think of moments when our children are in distress or they've gotten stubbed their toe or cut their finger or, or, or they're overwhelmed by homework or they're just sick and tired of the everyday rhythm, right? And they, and they, and they weep and wail and they're frustrated and they're tired. What do they do? They go straight to mommy or daddy and they cry out for help, right? They see who mommy and daddy is, people that are there, present, and able to carry the burden. And we, as God's children, need to see that that's the kind of God that we have. His ear is, is attentive, and He's available to your cry. So cry out to the Lord in the midst of your distress. That's what these psalms are. Cries out, calling out, singing out, sometimes in loud voice, Help me! Deliver me, O Lord! And it's the cry of a child to a father that hears and loves. So wherever you are today, whatever distress you're facing, whether it be at home with your spouse or your children, your financial condition, your job that you just can't stand. Whatever situation it might be, maybe it's just personal, inner, unexplained. There's just something wrong. You don't always need a reason. You just know something's wrong. This is an invitation to see the Lord for who He is. He's your deliverer. And to cry out to Him in the midst of your distress. And ask Him for deliverance. What does the Lord do? In my distress I called to the Lord and He answered me. He answered me. Don't miss the significance of that simple phrase. When a child of God comes into His presence, he hears the cry and he answers it. Right? I, I can easily remember uh, the kids coming to me and asking for something, and there's like this distant, like, peanut sound in the background. Some of your parents are like, mah, mah, mah. I'm not, like, I'm zoned in on this, and it's like peanuts. Like, oh, oh, oh. I'm not hearing anything. Right? And the frustration in the kids, like, Dad, don't you hear me? Don't you hear what I'm trying to say? It's like, no, because I'm not paying attention to you. I'm busy, right? That's not our God. God is not too busy. God is not too uh, involved in other things. God is not 
fully focused on one particular thing at the expense of his children. He is more than capable of being available and attentive to every one of our hearts cry. And it's astounding to me that the Lord of all the universe is able to handle such burden and carry it and respond to our cries. I can't even fathom that kind of power or that kind of grace. But in your distress, the Lord is your deliverer. And He answers it. That's the objective truth. He answered me. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and He answered me. And then I, don't know about you, but I read the rest of the psalm trying to figure out how He answered him. I'm not saying He didn't. The Scriptures say. He answered me. Right? He cried out for deliverance. So by implication, if he's crying out for deliverance and he answered me, one could conclude what? He's been delivered. Right? Where? Again, I'm not challenging it. I'm just saying, where? He ends, I'm for peace. When I speak, they're for war. Right? We have the objective truth. He answered me. But we don't see the subjective truth way in which he was answered. We don't see him removed from his distress, at least not in the psalm, do we? We don't see it. And so I got to thinking, what kind of a God is it that can deliver us in our distress without removing us immediately from it? What kind of a God does that? What kind of a God is our deliverer in the midst of our distress without having subjectively removed us from our distress? Only a God that hears our cry for deliverance and first and foremost comes to us in our distress before He removes us from our distress. See, that is the wonderful truth of the Gospel. That when we as a people cried out for deliverance from a world devoid of truth, He put truth in the world. Jesus. And when he heard the cries of his people for peace, he literally put the Prince of Peace in the world with us. Right? To deliver us. You see, the wonderful news of the Gospel is that God hears our cry for deliverance and he acts and responds and answers in such a way to first come to us in the midst of our distress. He takes on our distress. He identifies with our distress. He experiences everything that we have experienced in this journey and walk of faith. That's the kind of God that answers our prayer and still is our deliverer while we have not necessarily been fully and finally removed from our distress. That's the kind of God that we worship. And there's no other God and the face of the planet that is worshipped that has done that. Come to us in our distress. Experience with us all of our distress. So much that He can sympathize and understand and walk with us present with our distre- in our distress. What kind of a God is that? Nothing, uh, no one else but Jesus. 
He is our deliverer. And He delivers us first and foremost by entering into our distress. Isn't that wonderful? And so, some of us may be saying, if the Lord is my deliverer, why am I still living in distress? Because we still live before all of this distress is removed. It's been gained. It's been secured our deliverance. You can bet the farm on it. You can stake your identity on it. That in Jesus Christ, in His death and resurrection, in His fulfilling of all of God's promises, you are delivered. But you still wait a final and full form of that deliverance. You still walk through the valleys and the heat and the arduous conditions and all the distresses and struggles of life. But you do not do so alone. Amen? He is with you. You know, he, he is for peace, but they are for war. Isn't it wonderful that when Jesus comes and he teaches his disciples, he's not just saying, I'm going to take you out of hostility and put you into peace like now. He's saying, I'm going to do something way more radical. I'm going to put my peace in you. You're going to live and walk in this world, and I'm going to put my peace inside of you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. Take heart, I've overcome the world. He's talking about the Spirit of God. He's delivered you by putting the Spirit of God inside of you as you trust in Christ's work. So you walk through these days in these valleys and you're still lifting up your eyes to the one day when you will no longer be homeless, sojourning through this life, but you do not do so alone. You do not do so without the fullness of the peace of God by the Spirit. You do not do so without truth that has been revealed and being applied to your life every single day. The world in which we live is lamentable. It stinks, but it is not hopeless. Amen. We do not live in a hopeless situation. The truth is here in Jesus Christ. The peace that we long for is here in Jesus Christ. So if you're here in distress, please receive Jesus, for peace and for truth, don't look to anything else in the midst of your struggles and your your trials. Don't quit. Don't give up. He'll bring you home. And you will live in the new Jerusalem. Which, by the way, Jerusalem is the city of peace. So that home you long for, that that existence that you crave, that that the pillars of truth and the, and the, the presence of God's peace will be with you forever and fully, and nothing will take you away from it. No distress will ever enter that city. But for now, we journey. We walk. But we do not do so alone. The Lord is your deliverer in your distress. Nothing else. The Lord. In one day, the Lord will deliver you from it. Amen? That's our hope. This is our reality. We are delivered. We have a deliverer in our distress. We call out to the Lord and He answers us. Amen? Deliver me, O God! But we've not been finally and fully removed from it. 
The Lord is your deliverer in your distress. And one day, he will deliver you from it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, I just simply pray that you would apply the truth of these words to the lives of the people in this room. Pray that your spirit be at work. Pray that if there's somebody here today that doesn't know you, that you would draw them to yourself. I pray that if someone here today is crying out for peace and truth, I pray that you would show them that it's all in Jesus. They would turn to him in faith and repentance. They'd be made alive, just like our brother Stephen displayed today. Pray that if there's anybody here today that's just walking through trials and difficulties, that you would minister to them and strengthen them and say, you know what, it is hard. My purposes are being carried out in your life. This is not all in vain. Slowly but surely, I'm bringing you home. And I'm with you. with you. I pray that your children would know that you are with them. You have not forsaken them. They do not walk through this life alone, under-resourced. They have the spirit, the very peace of Christ in their hearts. And that you're walking with them, sympathizing with them, carrying them when needed. That you will never leave them nor forsake them. And that you will indeed complete the work that you've started in their life. And one day they will reach that final step and they will come home to you, they will never know what distress even means. I pray that you would strengthen and save your people today.